Welcome back, everybody, to the Caught Red Podcast. We are your host. I am Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. And we are just two dog lovers here to talk some true crime, horror movies, and, of course, our dogs, too. Mowgli got groomed today. He's so handsome. That was a big pile of hair. (laughs) That's our house every day. It really is. It's amazing. I don't know where it all comes from. It just keeps coming back day after day. Comes back with vengeance. Yes. Three days from now, he'll be back to normal. He's not even full husky. No, but Aussie's shed. Yeah, but We got two double whammy hairy things in him. That's true, but he sheds way more than the other three. Well, yeah. But I don't think he sheds as much as... As Aussie. Our cat? Have you seen that bed in there? Yes. <laughs> it's just white fur all over that dang thing. And every time you look at him, it, it's just... Poof. Yeah. When you hold him, you're just covered in white. He's so cute, though. I love Aussie's little meow. In case anybody wants to know, I do not recommend stepping on an ant pile. That's a one out of ten. Do not recommend. Oof. I have at least 15 or so ant bites on just my right hand alone. She got got. I got murdered out there. My foot, oh my God. (laughs) It itches so bad. We were having issues with the shower. The hot water wouldn't turn off. So she ran out there to turn the water off from the main shutoff point. And there was a big ant pile right there by. I wasn't looking for it. I was like, I couldn't get the freaking water valve cover off because it's covered in grass and so I was fighting that and then finally got it turned and Jesse sees me like throwing my hands around like I'm swiping I was looking out the window to see if she had done it already and and yeah it looked like she had maybe like gotten into a spider web or something and was trying to knock that off so I really didn't think anything of it and then I got outside and she was not happy no, and then I couldn't freaking rinse off because we turned off the water. I just said, go over to Jerry's. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> I did get to look at their puppy. She's so freaking cute. <laughs> Maple. But yeah, at least your swelling's gone down a little bit. Yeah. Ugh, I didn't even want to look at my hand. It's so huge. A size three ring won't be fitting on this hand. Well, at least it's your right hand. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it's so weird how it is just my right side. Oh, my gosh. You stepped right in it, I guess. Ugh. The worst. So itchy. But besides that, Jesse has our case. I do. And it's, like, not a very well-known one, or you don't think, or what, or... Huh. I don't think so, because I could not find much... I pretty much threw in every source that I had, so. So I'm ready to hear this. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, my sources, uh-huh. I've got LA Times, I've got Amarillo.com, CaseLaw.com, SaputoLaw, TAMU.edu, KSAT.com, CSUN.edu, and Weekly World News. And today's case was actually requested by Miss Wendy. You know who you are. Thank you for the recommendation. 
She was eight years old when the Panhandle murder took place. That's what I'm going to call it. I don't think it's actually been given that nickname. And you learn something new every day. I didn't know there was an actual town called Panhandle, Texas. I just thought that it was that square-shaped region at the top of Texas, which is called the Panhandle, which it is, but there's also a town called Panhandle. So the more you know. Well, I just visualize all the homeless people when you say panhandle so (laughs) yeah there's a lot of those around but something pretty sinister happened in panhandle texas in the early 1990s but before miss wendy was even born some crazy shit was going down all across the country not just in small towns in texas you're familiar with the satanic panic right oh my lordy lord This was before both of our times. Yes. Talk of Satan grew in the 1970s, especially with the film The Exorcist in 1973 Mm -hmm. being such a big hit. Stories of people fainting during the screenings. A bolt of lightning struck a church opposite a movie theater in Rome. The production was hit by a freak fire that burned the film set of Reagan's family home to the ground when a bird flew into the circuit box, but one room in which the exorcism was actually filmed was somehow untouched. Yeah, that is creepy. And then after the fire, nine people died while the film was being shot. Isn't that crazy? And then Linda Blair, who played Reagan, she received death threats all over the place from religious enthusiasts who believed the film glorified Satan. So she had to have bodyguards protecting her for like six months after the film's release. Then you've got games like Dungeons and Dragons. Shout out Megan's brother. D&D <laughs> yeah. this bitch. And that was first released in like 1974. And parents grew concerned about this game with sorcerers using magic spells to go head to head with monsters They felt like there was satanic messaging behind the game. I could see that. And in 1979, there was actually a college student named James Egbert who disappeared. His friends told authorities that he was obsessed with Dungeons & Dragons, which led investigators to somehow be convinced he had gotten lost in the underground steam tunnels in Michigan near his college, Michigan State University, after getting so deep into the game. That's like that Slenderman thing, when the girls start to believe that it's that he's real and they almost murdered their, uh, their friend. Crazy. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> oh. But it sounds crazy. I Proceed, need, I'm I sorry. I need to look it up. But in reality, he was just stressed from school and and ended up taking his own life. It had nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. That's sad. But like I was going on this downward spiral of so many cases. I was like getting way off track (laughs) with all the Satanism going on. What did you text me on my drive home from work last night? If you knew the killers, I think. No, hold on. No. That was another case. It was about this couple that had a that ran a daycare and all the kids were saying that they were involved in so many there were so many rumors about this couple that's about cool though Satan. i mean not cool daycare wise but that's cool yeah oh we'll have to go in depth about that later because 
But it didn't help that Satan was becoming a thing in pop culture, too. The band Black Sabbath, for example, named themselves after a horror movie, and I think it literally means a gathering for those practicing witchcraft, is what Black Sabbath means. And they got a bad rap for supposedly endorsing Satanism, when in fact their first album from the 70s was very Christian. Really? Yeah. Then you had other bands who realized there was a market for this kind of thing, this kind of style, and they played the part of being kind of satanic. Pentagrams on the covers of their albums, hiding demonic subliminal messages in their music if you play it backwards. That's what it was. Yeah, so... You would text me, do you know any rock songs with hidden devil-worshipping messages? And then he asked if I listened to Slayer. It's like, Jesus. She was probably like, that's a random-ass question. It's like driving home going, all right, love. So I got a few examples that I came across. The Eagles, their song Hotel California, which is a 70s classic, paid homage to the twisted side of Hollywood. But if you listen to the opening verse backwards, you will kind of hear the words, yes, Satan organized his own religion, or Satan hears this, he made me believe in him. The band denied these claims, but you can almost make out the message. I don't know if I could totally make out that message when I listened to it, but it definitely sounded creepy. But if you also know that's what you're listening for or read the words as it's playing, your mind might be playing that trick on you. For example, the Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven one, played backward you will hear oh here's to my sweet satan the one whose whose little path would make me sad whose power is satan he will give those with him 666 there was a little tool shed where he made us suffer sad satan now we listened to this one and it was like had the subtitles on the screen to read it while it was playing Mm -hmm. so it definitely sounded just like that it was really creepy but guitarist Jimmy Page also said that you know he denied that that was what they did and that it came from their hearts this song and he said that putting hidden messages backwards is not the way to make true music but I also found that he bought a mansion from the known Satanist Aleister Crowley so that was kind of a coincidence maybe I don't know hmm Then, of course, you got people like Charles Manson with his following of like 100 people or more. So it was no surprise that most people were somewhat familiar with the idea of a cult. It wasn't totally out of the realm of possibilities that something so dark and disturbing could be happening right at your front door. And in the small town of Panhandle, the townspeople never would have expected that they'd be looking over their shoulders and taking extra precautions to keep their kids safe from Satanists. Now, the story I have for you today is about a 19-year-old named Kenneth Glenn Milner. According to all his friends that knew him best, Milner was obsessed with horror movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th. He knew all of them word for word, my man. So, I mean, that's no, that's not out of... I mean, that's not completely weird to us. I mean, Le- Megan knows Resident Evil word for word. She knows The Mummy word for word. Of course, Mummy's not really a horror movie, but... Hey, it's a good 
good one. Milner would actually make masks of characters in the horror movies too, though, which was kind of taking it a little too far. He, it, it was pretty gnarly looking masks, like with blood and eyeballs hanging out of them. And he had a pretty dark and disturbing imagination as well. His bedroom was covered in black with posters from horror movies, which again, not f- far off from like what our podcast studio looks like. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's room black. painted black. Again, he may take it a little too far, though, because he's got a, like a clay corpse made to test out his special effects, and he had a cast of his own head that he'd cover with a demon mask. So, yeah, a few red flags here and there. According, but I think that's kind of cool. I mean, cool, it is kind of cool. That's cool. That's like how I want to get those uh, things off Amazon that look like zombies coming out of the ground and leaving them uh, 365 out in our front yard. <laughs> yes. I guess back then when all this stuff was going on and rumors going around and you had somebody that dressed like that and acted like that, it was kind of different, I guess. He would have loved Hot Topic. Oh, yeah. According to one of his friends, Milner would imagine attaching a low-powered plastic explosive to the back of someone's head, sticking a gun in his or her mouth and simultaneously pulling the trigger and setting off the explosive to make it appear the person had been shot. So I guess he was really into special effects. It sounded like he wanted to know what it would be like, though, which is kind of creepy. Have you ever seen the movie Summer School? No. Well, it's from 1987. And you talking about him being obsessed with special effects. There's these two, like, best friends that go to summer school. Like, Dad is going to love this because it's one of Dad's top favorite movies. Mom's too. But there's these two kids, two best friends that are in summer school together. uh, Francis Chainsaw. Grimp and then his bestie Dave Frazier, they do pranks in the summer school classroom. And I can I can see it right now. I mean, they loved it. I'll have to show you that movie. It's okay. a good one. Well, I feel like this guy would like to saw movies. Kind of creepy. He talked about how cool it'd be to shoot a person through the mouth. Milner had a fucked up sense of humor and loved to scare the hell out of people. His friend, Craig Shackelford, who was 16 years old, said that Milner wasn't normal, but he didn't think he was a Satanist. And he was his best friend, so I'm sure he would know more than anyone else. Milner read the Bible from cover to cover, but he also read other books, like the Necronomicon. Or, I guess, the Book of the Dead is what it's called. It's basically a handbook of spells that supposedly summons demons. Yes. If you've seen Evil Dead or all those other movies that Megan's obsessed with, you know. (laughs) Milner told Shackelford that some of his heroes were Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, and Jack the Ripper. He specifically idolized Jack the Ripper because he never got caught. So more red flags there that Jack the Ripper, who killed a bunch of women, would be your idol. Yeah. Another kid that graduated with Milner, Steve Sherwood, said that Milner was open about his involvement with the cult. It wasn't like it was a secret. He told people about it. He told people that he worshipped the devil. 
He wasn't always like that, though. Through gra- throughout grade school, Milner was a good student, but something happened when he was in high school. A switch just flipped. He started showing signs of depression. He turned to drinking, and he would cut his arms with a knife. He talked to Shackelford about trying to kill himself. He said he wanted to know what was on the other side. I got a lot of information from this Shackelford kid. He was just like an open book. In the spring of 1988, Milner climbed to the top of the town's water tower and threatened to jump off. The police were able to talk him down, though. Then one night he drove his car over a cliff at the Palo Duro Canyon. After he was treated for his injuries, his friends said he was put in psychiatric care at Northwest Texas Hospital in Amarillo, but the hospital never confirmed that. I'm, I'm sure that was probably patient confidentiality or mm-hmm. something. Shackelford grew very concerned when Milner wrote in his yearbook, it said, Your wisdom and advice have helped me out many times. Wish it could on the problem that I face now. Wish I could tell you, but you will find out sooner or later. And the entry was signed Damien. Yes, like the omen Damien, who's the Antichrist, for those that don't know, or the son of the devil. Was that the quote, a quote from the movie by Damien, or that's just something he had written in the book? That's just something he had written in the book. But, okay. But he liked people to call him Damien. He liked people to, like, take a step back when he introduced himself with that name. He's an interesting fellow. Very. So what could this message in the yearbook mean? What was he going to do? Well, you'll find out soon enough. So it was Friday the 13th. Of course. In July of 1990. Kenneth Milner called up 17-year-old Frankie Garcia to hang out that night and drink some beers. Frankie Garcia was the fire chief's son. Those who knew Garcia and Milner said that they weren't even good friends. Garcia was actually shocked that Milner even wanted to hang out that night. He even called up Shackelford and asked about it. He was like, Glenn doesn't even like me, does he? He just wants to take me out and pull a prank on me. Scare the hell out of me or something. From what I gathered, Frankie really got on Glenn's nerves. Frankie tried really hard to be everyone's friend, and he was a good dude, so I don't know why that would bother Milner. So he, Kenneth went by Glenn more than he did Kenneth or Kenny or something? Or maybe just his close friends called him by his middle name? Yeah, I think they mainly called him by Glenn. It was kind of hard to tell. I was I was seeing Kenneth, and then I was seeing Glenn, but, yeah. That's why I've been mostly calling him Milner. That works. <laughs> yeah. Well, they went out that night together, Frankie and Glenn, but it wasn't to drink beers together. Around 10 o'clock that night, Friday the 13th, Milner took Garcia to a barn outside an abandoned shack just northwest of Panhandle. This shack was known to everyone in town as the Haunted House, which was alleged stomping grounds for cult members. Milner forced Garcia at gunpoint to kneel in the dirt and put the barrel of his rifle in his mouth. 
and it was there that Milner pulled the trigger and killed Garcia. Whoa. I don't know what made him choose to do that to Frankie Garcia or to anyone for that matter. I don't know if any of his friends knew why. It wasn't... doesn't sound like anything was building towards it. It just, let's go, quote-unquote, hang out, and then he... Yeah, I don't know why he picked him exactly. I kind of got like a theory maybe. But it wasn't over for him that night. So speeding out of town, he ran into Shackelford around 10.30 p.m. And Shackelford asked him what he was doing. And Milner told him, I just got done taking care of some business. I've got to go take care of some more. He went to a birthday party at Lake McClellan that night. And originally... His plan was to shoot up the place, but he got sick to his stomach and couldn't work up the courage, I guess, to do it. You just shot one guy in the mouth. What? Now you're nervous? So his next stop would be the home of 47-year-old Jimmy Britton, who was the stepfather of a former girlfriend of his, Jenny English. It was a little after 1 a.m. when he got to Britton's house, who lived in Groom, Texas. That's about a 25-mile drive from Panhandle, Texas. According to Shackelford, Milner didn't like the way Britton treated Jenny. I'm not sure exactly how he treated her or if maybe he had something against Milner and wouldn't let his stepdaughter date him. I don't know. But that night... He knocked on Britton's door and asked him if he could use his phone because he was having car troubles. Once Britton let him inside, Milner started attacking him with a razor. Luckily for Britton, Milner made himself sick again in the process of trying to kill this guy, and he started vomiting. And this gave Britton the opportunity he needed to push Milner out of the house. And Britton would end up needing 200 stitches for cuts to his arms and throat and chest area, but he did survive this attack. Damn. And from there, Milner drove to Amarillo, which is another 45 miles. Here is where he would confront his former principal, 39-year-old Kenneth Williams. He got to Mr. Williams' house somewhere between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning. He shot through... Mr. Williams' door three times with his 357 Magnum revolver. He hit Williams in the leg and abdomen, and then the third shot missed. Williams survived the attack as well, although he had to undergo like 30 surgeries and over $300,000 in hospital bills. Oh, my God. So it must have been pretty serious or something went wrong with the initial surgeries to have 30 surgeries for two gunshot wounds crazy. According to Shackelford, Williams was spreading rumors about Milner to other kids in the high school and it pissed Milner off. Seems a little childish for a principal. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that was the case or not, but both Britton and Williams identified their attacker as Kenneth Glenn Milner, and Milner actually gave himself up without any issues out front of the police station. A search of his car revealed guns, ammo, clips, and a knife. So his 
1988 Ford Taurus was impounded and he was taken to the county jail. He actually confessed to all three attacks that night. He told police that he shot Garcia in the head after reciting an incantation, part of a secret ceremony, and then he put him in the middle of a pentagram and blew his brains out. And he sacrificed him as a virgin to the devil. So maybe that's why he chose him, because he knew he was a virgin. I don't know. And he was planning to kill himself after all this, but he forgot the incantation he needed to recite to go to the next level. In his confession, he expressed that he wanted to die. Police found Frankie Garcia's body at the barn that Saturday morning around 9 o'clock. Kenneth Glenn Milner was charged with the murder of Frankie Garcia and the attempted murders of Kenneth Williams and Jimmy Britton. He was held without bond for the murder of Frankie Garcia. And when the residents of Panhandle heard what happened that Friday the 13th night, they were worried that there would be other attacks. They thought there were other Satanists out there, so they closely monitored their children, keeping them off dirt roads, making sure that they came inside before dark. There were a lot of rumors going around like that Satanists were after these blonde-haired, blue-eyed kids to sacrifice. So the 2,300 people living in this little farm town, they never thought anything like this would happen, but it did. Carson County District Attorney David McCoy said it was the most bizarre case he had ever heard of. He said the ultimate crime deserves the ultimate punishment, though. Capital murder in Texas can carry the death penalty, so obviously he was looking for the death penalty here. When he heard about Milner's confession saying that he wanted to die, McCoy said he'd be happy to accommodate him. Right? Yeah. Court appointed defense attorney Douglas Woodburn to be Milner's attorney. He didn't think Satanism was a guiding influence in Milner's life, but he didn't know for sure. Milner would end up pleading guilty to two counts of attempted capital murder and one count of capital murder. He was given separate and cumulative life sentences for each conviction. He didn't appeal in time. I think he was trying to appeal, but it like missed the deadline. I think it was a, you have a year to appeal for this in Texas anyways. But later on down the line, he submits a writ of habeas corpus, and Milner's murder conviction was determined to be barred by double jeopardy. And this was in 2011, which is crazy how long after this was. Yeah. And you don't see that many double jeopardies, really. Just I mean, the movie. I know. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> so, like, the first thing I thought of was Ashley Judd's double jeopardy movie, and it's like, she gets charged with killing her husband who didn't really die, right? Mm -hmm. And she finds out, and then he's this bad guy, and she ends up killing him the second time and gets away with it because of double jeopardy. Well, double jeopardy, in this case, protects criminal defendants from three things. A second prosecution for the same offense after acquittal, a second prosecution for the same offense after conviction, and then multiple punishments for the same offense. 
And when a double jeopardy violation has occurred, this writ of habeas corpus is the proper way to go about challenging this. Under Texas law, the offense of capital murder in this case is defined as a person murders more than one person during the same criminal transaction or during different criminal transactions, but the murders are committed pursuant to the same scheme or course of conduct. Gotcha. So I'm going to try to break this down for you a little bit. In cause 2379, Milner was indicted for one count of murder by knowingly and intentionally killing Frankie Garcia by shooting him with a firearm. In cause 2404, Milner was indicted for attempted capital murder for the attempted murder of Jimmy Britton and that in the same scheme and course of conduct caused the death of Frankie Garcia. Then in cause number 2405, Milner was indicted for attempted capital murder for the attempted murder of Kenneth Williams and in the same scheme and course of conduct caused the death of Frankie Garcia. Okay. So what it looks like is that he was given a second prosecution for a single violation of the same penal statute that attempted capital murder. I guess you can't charge him with attempted capital murder for two different people after he killed Frankie Garcia. That's what it sounds like. But to me, I'd be like, well, you still try to kill two more people. Yeah, I know. Always trying to beat the system somehow. In reality, he should have just received one attempted capital murder charge and received life in prison. Right? I guess. Sure. (laughs) Because with a capital murder charge, a defendant must commit both a murder under Texas Penal Code 19.02 and at least one additional murder during different criminal transactions. He only killed one person and attempted two others. So, as a result, he only got the attempted capital murder charge. Instead of the actual capital murder charge. That sucks. So one He took someone's life. So the capital murder charge and the other attempted capital murder charge got thrown out. And he got the one attempted attempted capital murder charge and he's serving life with the possibility of parole. Really? For killing one person and trying to kill two others. You got to quit looking up cases that have complicated (laughs) court shit. I know. But that makes sense, right, I guess? Yeah, Um, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. So he would have his first chance at parole in 2010. There was a three-member Amarillo parole board contesting his release. Kenneth Williams... One of the men that survived spoke face-to-face with one member of the board. Apparently, you're only allowed to speak to one member, and they can make their recommendation to the other two members. I feel like a three-person board is so small for the size of Texas. Right? I feel like you should be able to talk to all three of them, too. Gosh. But he was strongly against Milner ever getting out of prison, obviously. He forgave him for what he did, but that doesn't mean he should be free. And also, 
when Milner was originally convicted, he turned around in the courtroom and threatened Mr. Williams. He told him that he'd come after him if he was ever released. So Jesus Christ. I'm sure that was always in the back of Mr. Williams's mind. And then Williams goes through constant pain daily. I mean, he must have had some serious complications with those two shots, like I said before. Three, 30 surgeries? Ugh. Gosh. He brought a file with him that had more than 250 letters opposing Milner's release, so he was straight determined to make sure Milner stayed where he was at. And Milner was denied parole in 2010, and then again in 2015. And as of today, he is still serving life in prison. And there you have it. That is the case of the Panhandle murder. Were these attacks out of just pure hate, or was there something more satanic behind it? You be the judge of that. Hmm. That's interesting. Because, I mean... The Frankie Garcia murder seems kind of satanic. The way he put a pentagram in the dirt. But even then, then, like... did his incantation, but... There's there's so much behind Satanism and all that because I, when I was doing the Fall River murders, I looked into all that and like like people always associate what he is doing with like the church of Satan because of its name, but the church Speaking of Satan. Okay, Ripley. <laughs> uh, because the church of Satan, they're just atheists. They don't really they don't so, yeah. I mean, that has nothing to do with Satan. The more the majority of cases back then, people getting charged and, and sent to prison was all just like allegations and people scared and media talking. And really, it's just like, I don't know. It's so, there's a lot. There's really a lot to it. But everybody that goes down that path, they're just, they're lost souls. They're the outsiders. People think they're odd and strange to begin with, so they all just gravitate towards each other. And they could just be like three or four friends hanging out, but if they all dress in black and I have like this emo picture in my head, like the chain wallets and the Janko jeans and they got piercings and spiky hair, like when you did your uh, Brian Dinicky episode, mm-hmm. you know, they probably thought he was into that stuff too, but he was just, that's just what he liked. So it's hard to yeah, know what's really a cult and what's really Just a style Satanism. or yeah, fad right. or something like that. Well, hell, I'm, I've got a freaking Metallica blanket I'm wrapped up in right now. <laughs> yeah. So, but that doesn't mean I'm like, I don't have black nails today. They're blue. <laughs> For once. For once, right. No, I think he just... Murdered out of hate. He said he was or like a sad revenge kid. or something because obviously the Jimmy Britton guy did something to offend him and the yeah. principal did something to offend him and he was. And he said there was back. a group that he was going to. There was a birthday party and he's apparently was going to shoot up the place. Did he know whose birthday party it was? I assume so. I I never saw whose birthday it actually was but because it does sound like everybody was around 
that like high school group and high school is everyone thinks it's the hardest time in their life, but it's really like the easiest time in their life. They just don't realize that till after. Right. I mean, everyone that thinks like that age group is going through something. Yeah. Everybody's going through something during that age. That's part of growing up. That's maturing. They don't mean you need to go yeah. kill people because it, someone said something that hurt your feelings when you were a senior in high school or whatever. Yeah, it seemed like the Frankie Garcia guy was a good kid. Didn't deserve that. That's sad. 17 years old. It's kind of crazy to me when you said that uh, he wanted to sacrifice him because he was a virgin, but most of the time it's like a female that is the sacrificial lamb for something like that. Well, good job, love. Thanks. That wraps up another episode here on the Caught Red Podcast. If you like us, share us. Leave us a review wherever you listen to help us get more dog lovers and cat lovers and true crime lovers to discover us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just don't forget to spell it with P-A-W-D for podcast. Send us any recommendations like Miss Wendy did. And then we'll be back next week with some more true crime. Until then, stay local, shop local, murder local.